0: We are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. One of the dogs started to howl. Almost immediately, all 400 dogs that were there started to howl along with it.
1: We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The conditions can change so quickly and it became very challenging to maneuver that kayak. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by hippos than anything else. Whether it's one state over.
0: I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months, and my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail.
1: Or halfway around the globe this fantastic high desert. You watch the sky at night, so you just see the Milky Way and shooting stars. If the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. Support for Postcards from the Road comes from SEFCU, serving banking, insurance, and investment needs with more than 30 branches across the greater capital region. Also offering assistance to local nonprofit organizations through SEFCU's community support program. CEFQ changing lives every day. SEFCU.com Visiting all 50 states and staying in the homes of over 150 strangers, 32-year-old Long Island native Mary Latham set out three years ago in search for more good. Latham is currently in Hawaii, the last state in her journey, which began as a way to honor her mother.
0: She passed away from cancer about six years ago, and she was kind of the impetus behind all of this. She was always a really optimistic, positive person. And when I was at work on the day of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting back in 2012, I had just kind of gotten into work that morning. I was getting to my desk and opening up my Google News and It was all the information about the shooting. I mean, it had just happened. It was 9 a.m. that morning. Everything was coming out about what was going on. He was still an active shooter. And I just remember being really, I think we all were, pretty horrified. And I grew up without television, so I was pretty shielded from a lot of that, just like a lot of the bad stuff. And I just remember being really scared. And I was such a kid person, and I had to babysit that night for a 6-year-old. So I was sitting there at my desk, traumatized in my coworker walks by and he has a coffee with him and he says oh you should have come to Starbucks with me today and I was like yep couldn't afford it (laughs) ignoring him looking at the news and he said no it was actually free and so I finally turned around and looked at him and I was like what are you talking about and he said yeah there was a man in earlier buying gift cards for people because it was right before Christmas and then he randomly just bought an extra one for $100 and said run it out on the line behind me and all the people got a free coffee and he was one of them and it was cool i had always heard of things like that happening um, right. i had never really been directly impacted the guy i worked with was just a really nice person and he had just been having a horrible year you know going through a divorce his mom passed away from cancer he had back surgery that week like it was just nonstop, and i hadn't really seen him that positive or happy in a while and there he was like glowing about this free four dollar coffee a stranger bought him and so It was really cool, and I called my mom and told her about it and then quickly switched over to telling her all about the shooting because she didn't know about it yet. We didn't have TV in the home she was still in. I just kept harping on it and was like, how am I going to babysit tonight without crying on this little girl? And how is there just so much bad out there? It's just so scary. And she said, you know, Mary, you got to focus on that coffee story that you told me. There's always going to be tragedies and horrible things that will inevitably happen in our lives, but there will always be more good out there if you look for it. So that conversation kind of was the beginning of what became this mission. I lost her a few weeks later after a surgery that wasn't successful. And spending time in that hospital waiting room was probably one of the biggest things that made me realize, you know, there's really nothing in these rooms. right? And wouldn't it be nice to have some stories? I had already just started collecting some stories for a little project I started. So I had access to some stories, and I was reading them to my family when I was in there. And I just always remember there was a guy in the waiting room alone, There was a couple in there that was divorced and fighting. And I just felt like an already really hopeless room was just so much more depressing. And wouldn't it be nice to have these stories to give people to give them a little bit of hope? So I decided I would drive around the country and collect them and make a book to put in those rooms.
1: How did you go about starting your road trip? Did you did you reach out to people? Did you just kind of take to the road and see where the good took you?
0: I tried to make a relative plan. When I first came up with the idea, my friend helped me make a little video. He took her own footage of the car. So it was my mom's old Subaru (laughs) and took some footage of the car driving over this one road in our town in about a month, I'll be driving back over because I'll be done, which is like a crazy, surreal feeling. But he took some footage of that and helped me put together a little video explaining why I wanted to do this, what it was. And then I just put it up on Facebook and said, if anyone has an aunt in Texas or a cousin in California or an old friend in Pennsylvania that will let me crash on their couch as I travel through, you know, let me know. It really became very much a word of mouth thing. Like once I started getting on the road and staying with these homes, I'd meet someone that had a story. And then they would say, Oh, you know, I have a friend that lives here. Or I'd meet someone in a coffee shop that would just say, I like your shirt, because I wear the same shirt every day that says more good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I have a couple that I obviously rotate. So I do, 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 do laundry, but I'm always in a shirt or a sweatshirt that says more good. And so a girl in Oklahoma was like, Oh, I like your shirt. And I told her what it was. And she was like, Oh my gosh, my best friend would love that she lives in Colorado. And so I stayed with her in Colorado. So, you know, it became a lot of really distant, random connections to people. I reached out from a local paper or something where they had heard about it and then emailed and offered their home. i have been in 150 homes to date.
1: I imagine that while seeking out the good, you can also find the bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you, anywhere you go, you're going to find negative people. And bad situations. But I think that with the good, it's not that I've been like driving around the country hearing nice little rainbows and sprinkles stories right. by any means. I would say 98% of it has come from a tragic or sad place where a family loses a child or a person loses their legs or, you know, some kind of tragic thing happens and it's how they respond to it and what they create out of it. And it's really amazing to highlight. I mean, it's kind of what I wanted to do in the first place was take this event that happened in my life that really rocked me by losing my mom and then just kind of holding on as tight as I could to those last words she told me and letting them guide the rest of my life. And so creating something beautiful out of what she had inspired me to do. And now I've been highlighting people that have kind of done the same thing all over the country, whether they created a scholarship or a foundation or something where they give back or help others. I mean, the second they go through their thing, they want to turn around and figure out how to help the next person that's going to go through it. And that's just, it's been really amazing to see that.
1: Has it taken a toll on you talking to people about these heavy topics?
0: You know, I feel like I'm not very objective. I'm not very good at just sitting there. I'm not a licensed therapist. And yet I feel like I've been one for three years. And so I have a hard time separating from it. And I'm very connected to the people. I mean, the people I stay with, the people I meet all along the journey. I mean, for me, I'm out there alone. Right. And so they're playing a really big role. And, and a lot of them know that, but I think some of them don't realize what a huge role they're playing because they're in their lives and I'm just staying in their home, you know, maybe or something. But for me, I'm like in the middle of wherever I am, Idaho, and in a place <laughs> I don't know at all, really far away from any of my family or friends. And like the only connection I have is them right now when I first arrived to town. So staying with the people has provided a really big emotional and financial support for me because I would never be able to afford it if I had to stay in hotels staying with them, they feed you dinner, they feed you breakfast. I stay with so many different types of people. So like there's definitely a range and it's really nice to, when you stay with those families and you get totally mommed, you know, by <laughs> by a woman and she, you know, make sure you have a good dinner and make sure you're resting and this and that. Sometimes you stay with people your age and then it's, oh, I could have a social life for a minute. Maybe I'll go out with them and their friends. Every host has played a different role. And there's definitely some reason why I end up in the homes I end up in. But I think that they've really helped me because it is a lot to take in all of this stuff and then to be able to get to a home where you can talk to that, like have those people to talk to. Cause my sisters and my best friends and I talk to my dad, like, you know, I don't really want to tell them all of the things because it's like, oh gosh, it's so much sadness. Like I don't want to overwhelm them. So with the host, it's like, you get to the person's home for a few days. So they just have to hear it for a few days. And then you get to the next home and you start telling those people instead, you know, instead <laughs> of just having one person that has to take it in as much as I've been taking it definitely um, something I'm trying to learn how to do better. But yeah, it's just really, it's hard to process it.
1: (laughs) You're never over anyone that you lose in your life. But has this allowed you to keep your mother close to you with the years that have gone by?
0: I think the coolest part is when a local paper picks it up or a local media outlet And they use a photo of me and my mom. So, like, then you see it on the TV. It's like she's still alive. Like, she's still out there. And her picture is still getting revolved and stuff. And so that part is really cool. But I think, of course, yeah, I mean, this is so much inspired by her and in honor of her. And I'm in her car. And so I do feel
1: like it's, it's keeping
0: her with me.
1: You said that you were driving it back and that you were done. Does that mean you've been to all 50 states?
0: So I will be done on November 30th. throughout the last three years, I've traveled back a few times, probably about 10 times. I should count, but I think it's been about 10 times where I've parked the car in a stranger's driveway or in their garage and they drop me off at the airport and I fly back to New York and I shoot weddings. So that keeps my business and my wallet alive. I shoot two or three weddings and then, you know, over the course of a week or two, and then I get back on the road for months at a time. And so... I've come back to New York because of work, but I haven't done New York. When I, when I got in the car and I left, I left my hometown, which is on the end of Long Island, and got on a ferry and went to Connecticut. So I started in Connecticut. I'm starting New York, upstate New York areas now. And then next Tuesday, I fly to Hawaii, which is on the day that I started this journey three years ago. So I'll be leaving on October 29th for my last date. And then get back and kind of scoot through Long Island and across that causeway on uh, November thirtieth, and then I'll be done.
1: That's amazing. Are you? Uh, <laughs> how do you feel now that this is? It's all coming to an end.
0: You know, I'm trying to um, kind of figure out a lot of emails and people that have contacted me, reached out from Hawaii right now, and edit you know, 6,000 wedding photos because I just shot three weddings in the last week Mm. and figuring out my plan through Long Island, figuring out the school I'm talking. Like, I don't think I've really thought about it yet. I'm like very overwhelmed and don't really have Hawaii planned yet. So it's hard to imagine it. But yeah, I'm sure I'll probably just cry my way right through that entire causeway ride.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What can we do to reach you if our listeners want to share their story with you?
0: I have a website, it's moregoodtoday.com, and there's a way to submit a story on there. There's a way to email and contact me. And then I also have a Facebook and an Instagram, which is moregoodtoday.
1: Latham says once she returns from Hawaii at the end of this month, she will begin to write her book in the hopes of providing more good to people around the world. Postcards from the Road is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin MacLeod. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit wamcpodcasts.org for more information. If you would like to share your travel story with WAMC, email us at postcards at wamc.org.